Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Vitriol. What a great word. Nothing personal word of the day. Vitriol. That has been the reaction across the sports landscape to Joe Kelly's suspension as handed out by Major League Baseball. Joe Kelly is the pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers who threw over the head of Alex Bregman, who then made funny mem faces or is it gif faces or gif faces toward the Astros, which then led (laughs) its meme. How am I doing, Coca? All right, we're going to start the show again. Again, starting again. Three, two, one. Vitriol, as in the meme. No, no, vitriol is not a meme. Two, one. Vitriol. Nothing personal. Word of the day. Can you imagine? Let me, let me, let me go through the issue, please. Because I have no reaction, anything near what people are doing. There's a a former player named Will Middlebrooks who works at CBS Sports HQ. Great guy, married to Jenny Dell, an anchor at CBS Sports HQ, does a bunch of other CBS things. He and I did a segment on HQ after the suspension was handed out yesterday. And his view is that the Joe Kelly suspension was a joke that it was way too long and that it's incredible that the Astros players were not punished for stealing signs and garbage cans and everything else they did. But then Joe Kelly throws above Alex Bregman's head and gets eight games, which is 13% of the season, which in a regular season would be about 22 games. People were all over Twitter, social media, commenting, saying it's outrageous, cheaters don't get punished, but Joe Kelly does. People were angry at Chris Young, who is the head of discipline for Major League Baseball, former pitcher. Remember that really tall pitcher he pitched for the uh, Padres, among other teams? Thinking that Chris Young made this decision. Here's a little nugget for you, folks. Chris Young did not make the decision of how many games Joe Kelly would get suspended for. He announced it. Do you know that when we do press releases and statements, we decide who's going to be the person announcing it in the press release? Statement by David Sampson, president of the Marlins. Statement by Rob Manford, commissioner of baseball. Statement by Jeffrey Loria, owner of the Marlins. Statement by Michael Hill, president of baseball operations. Statement by head of community relations. Whatever the case is, we would make that decision. That doesn't mean that person made the decision. That means that that's the person that we believe is the best person to have associated with that statement. So let me get you off the hook there, Chris Young. I know you didn't do that. So why are people so angry about this? I've been thinking about it all day since it happened. On yesterday's show, we told you that 
Joe Kelly would get suspended. We told you Dave Roberts would get suspended. I thought that Dusty Baker, the manager of the Astros, would get suspended as well, but he was only fined. The reason I believe that the managers would get suspended is because they allowed the benches to clear. And the commissioner is so scared about the baseball season falling apart, so scared about team-to-team transmission, that anything that causes teams to be in close contact to each other, from polite fraternizing to fisticuffs, will be looked down upon and treated with a heavy hand, as it should be. That's the commissioner's job, is to make sure that a season gets completed. It was made very clear to the players before the season started. Two things. One, the Astros players were not suspended because they were given immunity when they went into the commissioner to tell him everything they knew about the sign-stealing scandal. That was a deal cut with the players' union to both protect members of the union, but also to get to the bottom of what happened in Houston. So rules could be made to ensure that it wouldn't happen again. Absent that granting of immunity, no one would really know what happened. So the Astros players were never going to be punished. The organization was. The organization was punished historically. First and second round pick two straight years. That's a big deal. Five million dollars. It's not chump change. The suspension of the GM and manager. They ended up getting fired by the Astros. But the suspension for a full year. The suspension of the video coordinator. These were not small punishments. So the players knew before the season started, one, they knew why the Astros players hadn't been punished, and two, they knew that any on-field retribution in the form of a beanball would be handled swiftly and aggressively. That's all Rob Manford did yesterday. He let it be known that we will not, under any circumstances, go back on our word. When we told you don't throw at the Astros, we meant it. On top of that, you get an extra game because you threw at his head. On top of that, you cause a bench-clearing brawl, which could interrupt and ruin our season. Add them all up, you get five games. We're going to make it eight because you're going to appeal And I'm going to lower it to five. If I'm the commissioner, I don't lower it to anything. You want to make an even bigger statement? You don't allow this suspension to be lowered. Now, 100 out of 100 times. That can't be true, Coca. I never want to speak in superlatives like that or hyperbole. The vast majority of the time, suspensions are lowered upon appeal. Wouldn't it be fabulous? Hold on. I got a plan. Time out. Everybody halt. 
You want to make this a real deterrent, Commissioner? You not only, not only keep the suspension of Joe Kelly at eight games, but in the statement where you keep the suspension of eight games, you explain exactly why it's eight games and then say any further violations where any Astros are hit or attempted to be hit intentionally, any player is thrown at at their head above the numbers, or any player leaves the bullpen or bench or rushes the mound, there will be automatic suspensions greater than these. Now, that would be a statement by Rob Manford because I know that's in his mind. I know very well he is scared. For all the people who have made this political, and I don't mean red versus blue, but have made this an indictment on the commissioner, an indictment on the Astros, who believe that two wrongs make a right, who don't understand what a baseball can do to a person's head when they're hit by a pitch. I encourage you to look at a horrible video in Milwaukee many years ago when Giancarlo Stanton got hit or any other number of players who've been hit. If you believe that what Joe Kelly did was right, then you probably believe in the eye for an eye. The issue I always had with eye for an eye is that everybody ends up blind. Why does that matter to me? Why street justice can't happen? One show this week, we talked about a concept of anarchy. Maybe been last week. I thought it was this week. We talked about anarchy. When you're running a professional sports team and a professional sports league, and you've got a union to deal with, and you've got owners to deal with, you have to be crystal clear what the rules of engagement are. There are so many opportunities and ways for teams and players to bend the rules, to interpret rules the way they want. That is why you need follow-up clarifications, you need precedents, and you need very simple language to explain what is or is not permitted. Because those leagues have to be the opposite of anarchy. Last night, the Dodgers and Astros played again. 13-inning game. No problem. No one got hit. No one rushed the mound. What's done is done. And my issue, as I said yesterday, is the whole thing happened because Kelly threw at his head. And it's worth repeating. If he had just hit him in the backside, none of this would have happened. MLB was smart today when they came out publicly with new rules and punishments related to sign stealing and electric electronic sign stealing. It was reported today that going forward, if players are caught to be using any sort of electronic devices, 
to steal signs, then the commissioner has the unilateral power to fine and suspend that player. So it's very different than when it was the Astros, where they needed the Astros for the investigation. Now, baseball is going to have a sign-stealing monitor in the video room. There are rules of what can be in the video room. There are now new rules of how the TVs can work in the clubhouse. The way it works is when players are in the clubhouse during the game is you're getting the feed. You're getting a delayed feed and a real-time feed. Baseball is coming up with the solution that the real-time feed will have the signs from the catcher blacked out. The only way you can see the signs from the catcher is on a delay and a long delay, like maybe not even during the game. No one's allowed in the video room. The players will have iPads that will have at-bats loaded on and approved by the sign-stealing compliance monitor. So baseball took this opportunity to announce this after there was street justice. Ironic because baseball didn't want it. They knew it was going to happen, and it did happen, but it just happened wrong. So what baseball had been hoping, the commissioner had been hoping, is that an Astros player would get hit in the back, then they would announce the new protocols, and that'd be it. No suspensions, no nothing. When Joe Kelly went headhunting, they still went with the announcement of the new rules on why, on what, how they're going to deal with sign stealing, but he also had to suspend Joe Kelly. If you are feeling that you are full of vitriol, take a deep breath and keep moving. Well, MLB's been busy today. Not only did they come out with these new rules on sign stealing and the fines and suspensions, they've also come out with new COVID-19 protocols. (sighs) Okay, here's what happened. I got on the commissioner on Monday when he gave that interview to MLB Network. I did, I don't know if we covered it on this show, but I did some radio shows and I did uh, a couple of hits on CBS Sports HQ where I was disappointed with the commissioner's interview. He gave that interview. They were softballs from Tom Verducci. It was a network that baseball owns. <clears throat> and yet the commissioner talked about how this isn't a nightmare. The protocols were built for this very thing. The protocols are working. The press releases have all stated it's just the Marlins who are having the problem. All 29 other teams are good. So I said, okay, if that's how you want to think about it, go ahead. Then it was announced late last night that MLB has changed the protocols. So what they're saying is that they are being informed of what happened with the Marlins and it's helping them adjust. And it is true. Baseball is a game of adjustments. And it is true that the protocols should be tweaked as the season progresses and they understand how these protocols work practically. 
all I'm saying is you could have said that from the beginning when you were interviewed. But what about these new protocols? A couple of things to note and a couple of comments. Number one, no more neck gaiters, only medical masks while traveling. No more leaving your hotel on the road. There will be compliance officers hired by all 30 teams separate from your payroll who will report to baseball, not to the team. And they are responsible to keep track of whether or not your team is in compliance of the protocols. It's like boarding school. It's like college with your RA, your resident advisor. It's like having a hall monitor, a babysitter. I sent a tweet that said, why don't we just tape the doors? Like when the kids are on trips in grade school and you put tape over the door so if anyone leaves their room, the tape is permanently and forever broken and can't be reapplied. And this way the hall monitor can know who broke curfew. They're doing seating charts on buses to make sure that there's enough distancing on team buses. And they're going to separate cliques and friends. <laughs> Listen, I know unemployment is high. And I'm very sensitive to people who are not working now. There's one job that if it becomes available to you, I would suggest you not accept. Don't be the seating chart person for a major league baseball team. Don't have the job where you are going to say to players who they can hang out with and who they can't. There's a lot of politics in the clubhouse. There's cliques in clubhouses. There are players who don't like each other. There are players who social distance before social distancing became hip and necessary. If you're going to put people, let me give you an example. On, on the team charter, players have areas where they sit. Veterans choose first then down to rookies. The guys who play cards sit in one area. The guys who want to watch movies sit in one area. The guys who want to drink sit in one area. The guys who want to sleep sit in one area. It is known who hangs out with who, who plays in the card game. Not much social distancing when you play cards on the charter. I wonder if baseball is aware that cards are being played on team playing still. So you're going to make a chart that players who don't like each other or are not friends are going to be closest to each other. It's not going to happen. It's just not realistic. <laughs> they also said, baseball did, that they are doing a complete investigation of the Marlins, why this happened. And when the investigation's over, they said that they are going to have further tweaks. That is what we call a wait to see. But the Marlin situation is still unfolding. Word has just come out that yet another player has tested positive. So there's now 17 players and two coaches. There's a report that one of the two coaches has now tested negative. I would assume some of the positive players have hopefully now tested negative. The Marlins continue to try to put together a team. I had a wait to see yesterday that they would not play Monday. 
I have to amend that. They're not scheduled to play Monday. Their first game back is Tuesday. The wait to see is the Marlins will not play Tuesday. The Marlins need more time to sign more players to put a representative team, however bad that representative team will be. So there will be no game Tuesday. I believe it is prudent for the Marlins to quarantine for 10 to 14 days in Philadelphia. Right now, they'd be on day five. Today is Thursday, July 30th. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I guess it'd only be day four. So I think there's at least another six days of not playing. And then, of course, when you're missing that much time, there has to be a workout or two. There's been no baseball activity by the Marlins. At some point, my guess is anything over five days will require a workout prior to playing a game. This is an amazing competitive disadvantage to the team, to one of only four teams with one loss in Major League Baseball right now. There are players in Jupiter as part of the 60-man pool who are still playing and testing negative. But most of those players will not be called up. Any of the new signings or trades that the Marlins make will report to Jupiter, play games there against each other, and be ready for when the Marlins play in the big leagues again. But for any negative members of the 33-man traveling party, they have had zero baseball activity since last Sunday. This Marlin story is not going away anytime soon. Every day there's a new development. It is a moving target. Everybody will have to stay flexible and understand that schedules will be changed, trips will be changed, and everything that you got used to in a season, you can throw out the window. Maybe in the next few days we will learn who the compliance officers are, who the hall monitors are. We'll get a look at a seating chart. If I get my hands on one, I'll let it be shared with you. Hopefully, we will see teams behave better. But I watched games last night very late. There's high-fiving. There's spitting. I tweeted about Dusty Baker spitting. He lifted up his mask to spit. There are players still chewing tobacco and spitting in the bullpen. In the dugout. That is how COVID can spread. High fives. The Angels did a great job. They lost the game and they're struggling again, which is not good for baseball. In this expanded playoffs, if the Angels can't make the playoffs and Mike Trout doesn't play in October, then that's it. I mean, then he may never play in October again. Otani hit a three-run home run, which was an incredible home run. If you can look at the video, both his feet were moving, which shouldn't happen. They were off the ground, which shouldn't happen. It was a pitch way down in the zone. He looked like Miguel Cabrera of Vladimir Guerrero. He golfed it out, and it went 400 feet. He circled the bases and gave air high fives and air elbows. That was the best performance by a player trying to adhere to the COVID requirements. More players on the field have masks. I think it should be a rule. First basemen must wear masks. Catchers must wear masks. Runners on the bases must wear masks. Umpires must wear masks. Third base and first base coaches must wear masks. All coaches in the dugout must wear masks. If you are not in the game and you're on the bench, you must wear a mask in the dugout. 
The only time you should not have a mask on is when you are actively plain and not in the positions I described. I think there will be further tweaks because this has been the season of tweaks. Another tweak that people are talking about is the extra inning rule. I love it. You know where my head is on that. I've told you. I wanted this extra inning rule for years. Man on second to start the 10th. I wanted a man on second and third to start the 11th. And I wanted bases loaded to start the 12th. The rule this year is simply a man on second to start the 10th and every subsequent extra inning game. Extra inning. Why has that worked? Well, there have been seven extra inning games. Five of them have ended in the 10th inning, one in the 11th, and of course, last night, the game ended in the 13th inning. That was Dodgers and Astros. The rule was put in place before COVID was suggested to be put in place, and why I liked it before COVID is that we are trying to accomplish three things in baseball. One, improve the product and keep the action moving swiftly. Two, not put a team at a competitive disadvantage where they're forced to use the next day's starter because the game goes so long, or they're forced to make player moves they didn't want to make because they blow out their bullpen because the game went so long. Three, to appease to the TV networks who are the biggest partners of your team. They give the team and teams, each individual team's biggest client is their local TV partner. The league's biggest client are the national TV partners. And these TV partners do not want four-hour games. No matter what broadcasters say, No matter what players say, I've spoken with the executives at these networks and they are unanimous. They want time certainty. They know baseball can't be a time certain by definition because it's a game that doesn't have a clock. But if every game is between 2.30 and three hours and the occasional game goes over, That's okay. But when every game is three plus hours, it's too long. It impacts their ratings. Now, don't tell me that ratings get higher at the end of close games, even if they're four hours in. That argument does not even hold a cup of water. So the extra inning rule was meant to accomplish those three things, and it has worked exactly the way it's supposed to. The one thing that was anticipated in the meetings in the competition committee, Joe Torrey in, that, in those meetings, and I shared this with him, even though he and I did not agree on everything, and you heard that on our Samson sit-down with Joe Torrey. He and I had very strong intellectual arguments and disagreements about certain rule changes, about different ways that we thought the game was going. Where we did agree 100% is that extra innings was full of bad baseball. Everyone going for the home run, 
no one playing fundamentally sound baseball. By putting a runner on second base with no outs, it was Joe's hope and mine that there would be the expression, get him over, get him in. That teams would do that. Man on second, no outs. You bunt him to third, sacrifice, fly home. You heard me on nothing personal when Kansas City did that. Cleveland, against Cleveland, the Cleveland players stood up and said it's an outrage. Losing a game without giving up a hit. It's the damn point. But what we're finding is that not all teams are playing small ball in extra innings. The Dodgers Astros are a great example. Neither the Dodgers nor the Astros ever bunted a guy from second to third last night in the 10th, 11th, 12th, to 13th. Now, each team scored in the 10th and the game had to continue. Then there was a two-run home run in the 13th, a two-run leadoff home run. Boog Shambi, who uh, was the Marlins announcer back in 03, is now a well-known play-by-play announcer in baseball. He said, it's my dream to call a leadoff two-run shot. And so he did. So the game ends 4-2. to two. Dusty Baker was asked, why didn't you bunt? When you're the home team and the score is tied and you can walk a team off with a man on second, no outs, you don't need to play for the crooked number. Bunt him over, get him in, execute, you win the game. You don't need to wait for the home run. When you're the road team and you know the home team gets a man on second also, I agree that in those circumstances, depending on who's up at bat, you may swing away, go for the home run because you're worried that one run does not help you win. It only gets you a tie, assuming the home team will score that same one run. We would teach our players to bunt, ironically. I always was scared when pitchers would bunt because they'd hold the bat wrong and they'd break their fingers sometimes. But Dusty Baker said, why would we bunt? They weren't bunting. No one's bunting. We're going to have to look at that. The analytics people are going to look at that and figure out after a much larger sample size, what is the most efficient, effective way to play in extra innings? And I promise you that baseball and its teams will find a rhythm and that rhythm will dictate how extra innings are played because I'm hopeful that this rule continues. We're going to talk about what's going on in Rutgers a little later in the show. But coming up after the break, we're going to talk about a different kind of rhythm. So stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back. We were talking about a nothing personal, the rhythm of extra innings and what players should be doing and how teams should be acting and what analytics the role will be. So I want to review a movie, and this is totally coincidental, but I watched a movie yesterday. It was a new release in 2020, and it had two things going for it that made me want to watch it. Blake Lively and Jude Law. Jude Law is an actor who is in Alfie. He's been in a bunch of movies. The Holiday. He's terrific. Blake Lively is married to Ryan Reynolds. She was in Savages, one of my favorite movies. She started her career on television, I believe. I don't know where. I want to say The Gossip Girls, but that could be Misha Barton. But that could be The O.C. I've never watched any of those. In any case, Blake Lively, Jude Law, directed by Barbara Broccoli, uh, produced by Barbara Broccoli, who is the producer of the James Bond movies. So it was my assumption, right or wrong, that this would be an action-packed movie like John Wick or like Old Guard. It was a revenge movie. It turned out it's a poor man's point of no return. Do you remember Point of No Return with Bridget Fonda? She was a criminal. She got taught by Gabriel Byrne. It was a remake of a French movie. They taught her how to be an assassin. And they let her out of prison to be an assassin. And she became a government weapon. Well, Blake Lively lost her family in a tragic accident and wants revenge. She somehow finds Jude Law, who's an MI6 operative, who teaches her how to be an assassin. The dialogue is bad. The camera work is so shaky. It must have been a handheld camera shaking all the time. The lighting is so bad that everything's so dark that you can't see. Blake Lively, as part of this, had to take her beauty and turn it into ugly in a way that I hadn't seen since Charlize Theron in her Academy Award-winning turn in Monster. I was disappointed. It's called the rhythm section. It's called the rhythm section because it's the rhythm of your body and the sound of your heart. And so throughout the movie, you hear the beating heart, you hear music. It was so bad, but I had to finish it. I'm one of the 28% on Rotten Tomatoes who gave it a 28%. I don't care about Rotten Tomatoes because I'm gonna watch a movie anyway that has Blake Lively in it and Jude Law. 
But my God, was I disappointed. Rhythm section, Jude Law, Blake Lively. Pass. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. This is when you go on Twitter at David P. Samson. You can go on Instagram at David P. Samson. Get in my Twitter. Ask me a question. I'll get to it. Meanwhile, this is it. Today, tomorrow, vote for me, podcast of the year in the sports category. The link is wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube on our own YouTube channel. Please, please vote. If we get nominated, that would be so cool. Although to me, I'm going to claim victory just that we were in the group to be nominated. But why not get in there and vote? Tell your friends about our podcast because it's growing and we appreciate it. Mostly Coca and me, but even CBS. So you want to talk to Samson? Given the Rutgers situation, what does this mean for college football? What would you do if you were President Holloway, the man you did an episode with? I had to choose this one. There's a Samson sit-down. We do Samson sit-downs every couple weeks. Jonathan Holloway, the new president of Rutgers, first African-American president of Rutgers. We did a great show with him. I thought it was. And he is deep in the crap today. So here's the story with Rutgers. 15 of their players have tested positive for COVID because they attended an on-campus party. So Rutgers was forced to shut down the program for two weeks, joining Michigan State as the second Big Ten school to be forced to quarantine. The president had no choice. But what does he do? And what does it mean for college football? Let's start macro and go micro. For college football, what this means is absolutely nothing because we haven't learned anything from what happened at Rutgers that we didn't already know. If your players or anyone goes to an indoor party, you have a higher likelihood of getting COVID than if you are being socially distancing and doing things outdoors. We know this. Indoor activities without a mask for over 15 minutes and you are in danger. That's why the clubhouse is such an issue in baseball. That's why the rally in Tulsa was such an issue and Herman Cain lost his life, the former presidential candidate to COVID today by not wearing a mask at that rally. On college campuses, rules can be made that fraternity parties are disallowed. Any get-together of over 15 people is disallowed. It's not going to happen. If you've been to college or you're 18 to 22 years old, you're invincible and you want to party. You want to drink and you want to get naked. That's how it goes. So if you think that college football isn't aware of the problem they have, you're wrong. What they are aware of is what the punishments can be. So if college football comes out with a rule, and this is what the NCAA should do, but they're so spineless that they don't do anything, the rule should be simple. 
we're going to choose a number of players. Let's say it's 10. We're going to define that as an outbreak. If you have an outbreak on your team of any active players, 10 or more, your program is shut down for 14 days and every single player must test negative before you can play again. You're going to miss two weeks. You're still going to pay. If you have a team that loses a game that you are paying to play, you're paying that team. If you don't have enough points to get into the playoffs, the college football playoffs, I'm sorry. There has to be accountability with college players. Now, the argument is they're student athletes. They don't get paid. Why should they be accountable? That is horse hockey. You don't need to be paid or be a professional to have accountability. Everyone in your office is accountable. Everyone in your family, everyone on the street, we all have to be accountable to each other or this COVID is never going to go away. Can't we take the hint of what the hell is going on in other countries? Every time I see fans at a Korean baseball game now, I'm despondent. Sick of the cardboard cutouts. If I'm president of Holloway in my first year, I'm flexing my ample, supple muscles, and I'm walking with the athletic director, and I am meeting with the team, and I'm explaining to them exactly what their punishment is. And it's more than a shutdown. If they have another violation, we're going to cancel the entire season. We'll find a way to figure out the finances, but your season's done. Does President Holloway have the guts to do that? Is it prudent to do that? Is it fair to punish people who behave because of certain people who don't? That is the toughest question when you run an organization. When do you decide that you are going to take down an entire organization for the unfortunate behavior of the few? There's no set answer to that question. My view has always been, from a philosophy standpoint, the greatest good theory, you know that. We've talked about nothing personal. Sometimes I have to do something that hurts someone in order to help the majority. The actual equation is if you can help two people and it hurts one, that's the greater good. It's a responsibility on that campus at Rutgers to give these students an education to get through a academic year because that is why the majority of people are at Rutgers is to get an education to set them up for their careers going forward. And if we're going to have students, it's not about football players, anybody. If a fraternity violates the party rule, shut it down like it's animal house. If a team violates, but only 15 players out of the 50 are in violation, the other 35 suffer the consequences. There's a responsibility to everybody on that campus. Not an easy decision, but a necessary decision. If you're the football coach of Rutgers, you got to put your foot down. Like managers should be doing at the major league level, coaches should be doing. I mean, listen, you're Greg Schiano, you're being paid. Remember we talked about it on the Holloway episode that he inherited that, I want to say $5 million a year contract. You're being paid to make tough decisions, make them because it makes everybody look bad. 
And don't tell me kids are being kids. I don't want to hear it anymore. So you want to talk to Samson? It is a tough situation for Rutgers. It is a real situation across campuses. And the NCAA has shown no desire of any kind to get involved. Zero. It's outrageous. Nothing personal. Pick of the day. We won yesterday. We said that Scherzer would beat Pearson. Nationals would beat Toronto. Pearson debuted five strong innings. He's really good. Scherzer was good, too. All zeros. Well, Scherzer did not beat Pearson, but I still won the nothing personal pick of the day because Toronto played an extra inning game with the Nationals, ended in the 10th inning when the Nationals scored four runs. That's a win. We're up to two and three. My pick today is a strange one for me because I'm not very bullish on the Cincinnati Reds. You know where I feel about Trevor Bauer. I'm not sure that team is as good as people are thinking. They did get Mike Moustakis back. Remember Mike Moustakis from yesterday's show? He felt sick. He said he was sick. They held him out. He tested negative. They wouldn't let him come back. He had to appeal. He then comes back. He's then in the lineup. He then hits a two-run home run. The Reds then beat the Cubs. Kyle Hendricks started for the Cubs. Sonny Gray for the Reds. A big win for the Reds. Today, I do believe that the Reds will win their second straight game behind Luis Castillo. Yes, that Luis Castillo, the pitcher who we traded from the Marlins for Dan Straley. The Cubs are going with Hugh Darvish, who has struggled. Nothing personal pick of the day. Let's go with the Reds over the Cubs. Wait to see. Wait to see is when I say things are going to happen, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. Guess what, folks? We made it to July 30th. The NBA is back. Yes. Real games tonight. We got Zion playing. The Pelicans are playing. We've got LeBron. Lakers playing the Clippers. Here's a way to see that we're going to know if I'm right or wrong by tomorrow. By tonight. Zion Williamson. Number of minutes played under 25. LeBron James. Number of minutes played under 30. Why am I setting the market at 25 and 30? Zion's been out for personal reasons. And LeBron is just old. And these games don't matter in my mind. Seeding does not matter in my mind. The Pelicans, it matters. They're trying to make the playoffs. But Zion will not be ready to play 25 plus. The Lakers need to keep LeBron fresh, knowing that he spends some time on social media now. Watch very carefully how the NBA games are played as we head into the playoffs. You are going to see rotations different. You're going to see minutes different. Because what teams are saying is in this bubble, we've got to get to the finals. And the way to do that is to manage minutes. And I'm going to go to a player and I'm going to look him right in the eye and say, LeBron, you're out. Zion, sit down. Why? It's business. It's nothing personal.